0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Looking forward to a fantastic LetterTech conversation. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Franz St. Lamy. He's the president and COO of LetterTech, and we're going to be discussing the evolution from ADAS to autonomous technology And how it's already being deployed, where we see it in the future of our automotive industries, both commercial, consumer, and potentially even public. And we're going to break down where this future technology might take both the industry as a whole, as well as the applications. So, Franz... Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Let's cut right into the meat and potatoes uh, and get into some of these uh, technology differences. So uh, to begin, for some context for our listeners, you worked for Integrated Device Technology or IDT as VP of uh, Automotive and Industrial. That's one of their sectors. You were also President and Executive VP of Global Sales for ZMDI AG. So, uh, what have been the most consequential innovations? And and just a preface, both of those technologies uh, or those companies uh, were supporting similar technology that you work on today. So working on um, basically sensor technology uh, and autonomous technology. So what have been the most consequential innovations in sensor technology that you've seen over even just the last handful of years? And how has that set us up for the ADAS to autonomy evolution and paradigm that we're seeing today?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the, the most uh, powerful innovation has been in the components uh, side of, of the technologies. One of the challenges the industry has faced, uh, always faced, was the availability of high uh, performance components at low cost, um, you know, that could be adopted by passenger cars. And uh, over the last couple of years, we've seen tremendous, uh, you know, acceleration and advancements in the forms of analog and mixed signal semiconductor components, but also in processors and as well as in the areas of optics. And these uh, advancements have now enabled, uh, you know, various uh, various new technologies to be able to... to be not only affordable but also performance, high performance enough to be adopted in ADAS applications and uh, autonomous vehicle applications. A case in points is, is um, you know, uh, um, uh, central processing units now or processors uh, for, um, you know, uh, doing machine learning as well as uh, autonomous uh, driving functions. Um, and to support that, you need high performance sensors and, uh, you know, uh, one of the key sensing technologies to enable um, ADAS and, uh, and autonomous vehicles is obviously LiDAR. And LiDAR is now possible to uh, be integrated onto vehicles in volume because of these advancements in these components te- component technologies and in the software that that goes with it.
0: And how successful were advanced driver assistance systems uh, in the past and leading up until now? Uh, And how have they supported growth both in consumer and commercial vehicles, kind of setting us up for a transition from ADAS to autonomy?
1: Yeah. So one of the things that we've, we've seen is, is, the sheer amount of complaints of people who own vehicles today—they have a camera that's, that's equipped with cameras and, and radars and GPS units. Uh, they're, you know, doing functions like, um, you know, uh, lane uh, lane keeping assists, um, you know, adaptive cruise control, or park assists, uh, or even uh, uh, obstacle detection. And the number one complaints people get is they're not robust. Um, and in most cases, like most people that I talk to, they actually disable them, which renders the vehicle less safe than it was uh, simply because, you know, radar only, camera only, or a combination of radar, camera, ultrasonic uh, is is, and GPS is not robust enough to really make uh, the system safe uh, because, you know, Changing uh, ver- varying elements, for example, uh, weather p- conditions, depending on where you're located, uh, you know, um, could uh, affect the camera, could affect the the, the uh, park sensors, as well as, you know, um, a simple uh, piece of paper uh, too close to the vehicle could, could be uh, an obstacle or it could be a, a, a tree branch uh, or a leaf. So a lot of things are impacting the performance of the sensors. If you're talking about uh, adaptive cruise control, for example, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times, you, you know, these systems are more annoying than anything else because if it rains or if it snows, you know, the system becomes disabled. And so we, but that being said, uh, the average driver who's bought a vehicle in the last uh Five years has now grown accustomed, let's say 10 years, has now grown accustomed to these functions. And they demand better pers- uh, performance, they demand more robustness. And so, uh, as well as the regulatory bodies are expecting these cars to be safer. If the functions are implemented in the features of uh, implemented in the cars, uh, regulatory bodies to give five star ratings on safety. To demand that these sensors work in all conditions, that these functions are safe, and that the users uh, are not victim of over-reliance on these and when these things are not functioning. And so what you're seeing is that most car manufacturers are coming out with these features, but their plan is to uh, enhance them and make them more robust, so that when they are required for emergency steering, emergency braking, uh, because these are all variants of lane keeping assist, uh, adaptive cruise control, so that these functions are safe and they're really working and they're robust. They work in any conditions, in any location. And so that's getting us closer to autonomous driving, because what we're talking about is not just assistance, but we're talking about the vehicle taking over complete safety functions, uh, you know, in the background, uh, you know, in the event that the, the driver or uh, is distracted or may not be in a position to take over or to make the right decision.
0: So how is that a transition away from uh often impeded assistance technology to full sensor-led autonomy impacting the businesses involved in both producing the technology, distributing it, partnering with um, the OEMs. Are you seeing ADAS companies or, you know, companies that provide ADAS solutions and technologies, are they shifting over to autonomy? Are they investing in new solutions, or uh, are they basically continuing to ride out uh, ADIS technology uh, and now meeting some resistance and some competition from fresh companies bringing autonomy and um, and sensor technology, especially MEMS-based sensor technology, to the forefront of our uh, vehicle and automotive industry?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a very good question. So the way to look at it is, you, it's a it's a tell of two stories, basically. There, uh, one is uh, passenger cars, um, uh, and the second one is mobility. Uh, what we when we say mobility, we include shuttles, autonomous delivery vehicles, commercial vehicles, heavy industry vehicles, uh, like uh, you know, for construction, mining, forestry. Uh, these specialty vehicles for agriculture, for example. Um, so, you know, they're um, two different paths uh, that will converge over time, but today they are diff- they're on a different path. They still need the same functions. They still need the same technologies, but the rate of adoption is different. So let's start with uh, passenger cars, for example. Uh, on passenger cars, we think that... Uh, functions are still today uh, assisting the driver. Um, So really ADAS functions, what we are seeing is a shift from, you know, uh, uh, lane keeping assist to, you know, basically blind spot uh, detection, to emergency steering, to, um, you know, emergency braking, uh, to traffic jam assist, to traffic jam pilot, to highway pilots. So you're seeing a step function, and each step adds orders of magnitude in terms of complexity. Not complexity in terms of technology integration, because those technologies are being integrated today. It's complexity in the number of use cases that have to be validated before these can be mass adopted by the general public. And so um, you know, so car manufacturers today. Uh, you know, fairly conservative uh, by nature. Uh, maybe at Tesla is a little bit different; takes uh, a lot more risk. But the car manufacturers in general are fairly conservative. They take safety as the highest priority, and and it's very difficult for a new entrant to even imagine a new entrant uh, to be in, to have any kind of success in the short term. Uh, in, in this segment. That does not mean there won't be new players in the field of electric vehicles and so forth, but um, we think that traditional car manufacturers and their tier one and tier two suppliers are really at a good position to really dominate the market for the next you know, foreseeable future. Um, the, the mobility space that I just mentioned is a little bit different. Is actually quite different. Um, You have quite a number, and and I forgot to include in mobility, uh, you know, robo taxis as well, which which is is part of the whole mobility market. Um, The mobility market, the business case uh, supports them shifting to full autonomy sooner rather than later. Um, In many instances. These are enclosed circuits or geo-fenced areas. These are very uh, controlled environments. And uh, therefore, the the customers or the OEMs are in a position to really uh, um, um, better design their solutions with their goal in mind. So if you're a shuttle manufacturer, for example, safety is your number one priority. Um because you're moving people or goods from point a to point b, these shuttles are relatively uh, small uh multi purpose uh, in general, but they're basically functioning uh in, in geofenced areas uh, so they typically you know are going at low speed and don't cover uh the whole ga- the full gamut of use cases or obstacles that for example, a passenger car could uh, come across. So this is also true for, you know, if you're construction or mining, or if you're in, uh, in, in uh, areas where uh, it's a private circuit, um, you know, so in these areas, you have a better control of the use case and better control of the risk, and the liability is not as, as large as for passenger cars the second part to that is obviously the business case Uh, if you're a shuttle manufacturer your aim is to move people or goods from point a to point b and to remove the driver so even though the adding the additional the sensor suite and the autonomous package may cost uh, a lot more uh, but the business case supports it it's a you know, because if you can operate your vehicle 24/7, independent of human beings, um, you know the profitability is there, and that you can justify adding the the uh, the costs today. And so that's what we're seeing today. You're seeing mobility being deployed much rapidly. And one of our partners that that we are showcasing uh, at AV20 this year is Coast Autonomous, and Coast Autonomous has a fully functional level four and level five vehicle that uh, can uh, um, move people or goods uh, in a very uh, uh, controlled environment, in a controlled uh, geofenced area, and do that does that very safely. And uh, our sensors enable them to do that. And so in this market, you're seeing many companies coming with innovative solutions that will enable deployment.
0: Now, I'm really interested in the backend B2B partnerships that have made ADAS technology possible up until now and how those continue to evolve moving forward um, as ADAS basically phases out and becomes uh, either autonomy or, uh, you know, the, the companies that were providing that technology... Um, shift their solutions or just disappear from the market entirely. So how are you seeing some of the partnerships built between OEMs, between, uh, the solutions providers, the manufacturers, um, uh, you know, some of the thought leaders and visionaries perhaps in the space that have led to successes in uh, advanced driver assistance systems. How do you see those partnerships evolving um, and leading toward innovative, uh, autonomy, automotive partnerships?
1: We anticipate, uh, uh, if anything, more collaboration in the future. So there's the, the uh automotive industry has reached an inflection point where there's a convergence of uh you know changes or or transformation happening so first is electrification combined with connectivity combined with autonomy and combined with with shared mobility and these are fundamentally call i call them 100 billion dollar bets each and so you know the most, uh, uh, no single company can actually take on this, tackle this problem on its own. So um, you're seeing uh, collaboration as a fundamental part of the sustaining model in the future. So you're seeing tier ones, um, A, starting to consolidate, B, joining forces with uh, uh, partnerships with uh, with OEMs, um, as well as OEMs um, collaborating on platform exchanges, so whether that's for um, electrification, so partnerships on batteries, partnerships on drive, uh, on on engines, um, and uh, and then uh, but also autonomous driving. Um, so you're seeing, you know, case in point, BMW and Mercedes uh, partnership. Uh, for Europe, for mobility, as well as uh, for autonomous driving. You're seeing uh, VW uh, uh, as well, uh, partnerships going on with uh, 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 Ford. Uh, You're seeing, um, you know, uh, partnerships forming between uh, now HKMC, uh, Hyundai Kia Motors joining forces with Aptiv on autonomous driving and mobility as well. And even then, uh, Hyundai-Kia Motors Corp investing in mobility startups, uh, so does Toyota uh, and so forth. So you're starting to see these collaborations uh, happening, uh, not starting actually, they've they've started a couple of years ago, but now you're seeing an acceleration of these types of collaborations because it's too big of an investment for one. Uh, GM Cruise and Honda Motors more recently, I can also add, um, you know, uh, uh, Toyota investing in in uh, in um, in uh, May Mobility, uh, but also people like Baidu investing in a number of of, uh, of mobility startups, and uh, and you're going to continue to see that evolve over the the coming years. What we see also on the component side is a desire for companies to collaborate. So on the processor side, you're seeing Intel forming its own uh, co- uh, consortium. You're seeing NVIDIA having its own consortium. But also us, Ladder Tech. we have established uh, since uh, almost four years ago a, a, a Ladar ecosystem because we've realized early on that uh, once uh, a company like us couldn't innovate at our level, we couldn't be a vertically integrated uh, a company and lidar is too complex; requires multiple components uh, in order to be able to deliver a complete lidar. And so we have chosen to partner with a number of strategic uh, partners through this lidar ecosystem, where we are collaborating not just with component suppliers, but also our customers are becoming partners as well. So in this case, you know, uh, I talked about cost autonomy. We share technology, we share uh, IP, we share uh, uh, data sets, we share market information that allows us to uh, be more productive. They give us inputs on our technology early on and we are able to deliver them working solution much faster and they're able to be more nimble in their markets as well. So I think collaboration is only going to accelerate just because the sheer size of investments required. Companies are now expected to pool their investments in order to reduce the risk, but also to accelerate the time to market.
0: So if we look at the state of autonomous technology today and where it's already applied uh, for the automotive industry, where is it already in place in an effective way in, you know, in what, uh, in what areas, in what ecosystems in uh, in which kinds of vehicles, and why have these been the areas where autonomous technology has been delivered first?
1: Well, I mentioned earlier uh, the the need um, for uh, uh, you know basically, some business cases are easier uh, than others. So uh, construction, mining, uh, autonomous vehicles have been in construction and mining, as well as archi- agriculture, uh, for 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 a number of years now. Uh, because these are remote areas, these are dangerous areas, and it's difficult to find uh, you know um, uh, humans that are willing to take that risk. But also for safety reasons, it makes no sense. But also the business model justifies it as well. Um, so, if you're running a mining operation or a construction operation, you know it's uh, it's from from a liability, uh, from a, a human capital standpoint, it's it's safest, but also business wise, it's the lowest risk uh, to have autonomous uh, vehicles. More recently, uh, we've seen you know uh, the the the, uh, the commercial vehicle segment. Um, so, if you talk to any truck manufacturing or any delivery uh, company, uh, the DHL, the UPS, or the Amazon's and FedEx of this world, they'll tell you the biggest challenge they have is finding people uh, for sh- for uh, particularly long haul. Uh, and so you we're seeing a lot of companies looking at using autonomous uh, technology in platooning. Uh, first, uh, you know, uh, as a as a step. Uh, function, but necessary step for them to really get to full autonomous. So I think that's something that uh, we're going to continue to see more and more deployments uh, in the future. Uh, We talked, so autonomous delivery is key. Uh, So first mile, last mile, middle mile, uh, all the miles, ultimately, uh, people are striving to bring that to autonomous uh, driving. Then we have, we talked about the shuttles, the shuttles market, so moving people. So if you're in a campus, for example, a lot of these large universities in the US have uh, pretty uh, large and sprawling campuses and they need to provide efficient, ecological, low cost means of transportation for students and faculty staff members. And so you're seeing, you know, these are basically closed concourses or geofenced uh, areas. and so where where it's a more controlled environment where you're seeing low speed shuttles, but also areas like retirement communities, uh, where it makes sense as well. Uh, in uh, in dense and urban uh, s- cities where uh, you know municipalities can dedicate just like they have high occupancy vehicle lanes. Uh, ultimately, some of them are looking at having an autonomous lane as well to move people back and forth. Again, uh, municipalities, transit is a is a challenge, uh, safety is a challenge, and so we're seeing deployments in, in these segments as well. And then there are other kind of what I call niche but innovative applications we're, we're seeing, you know, things like street sweepers, uh, garbage collectors, uh Uh, you know, automated vending machines. So, you know, essentially food trucking or food machines don't need to have uh, uh, a a driver or an operator um, where that could all be automated. But you're also seeing applications such as, you know, police cruising, for example, in remote and deserted areas where, you know, you just have fully autonomous bots uh, patrolling looking for, you know, uh, danger or looking for things that are not not, not uh, supposed to be there. And so we expect over the coming uh, years to have an explosion of these types of applications as the technology become more and more pervasive, as the costs of adopting those technologies become lower.
0: Which is the dynamic I guess you'd want to see, right? Which is lowering cost and and making scale possible without sacrificing quality at the same time. Because often that um, seems to be the dynamic, right? Faster, better, but cheaper. And so, you know, if the market can naturally lower costs and uh, boost the ability to scale this technology, uh, that is obviously a, a better dynamic.
1: No question. But, you know, the number one thing we keep hearing beyond cost is safety. Um, You know, all of this has to happen without, uh, you know, casualties or endangering the passengers so um, or or, uh, putting human beings uh, or private properties at risk. And so a lot of the effort is really uh, focused on not just developing the technology at low cost, but also to do that. Uh, as the as you know in the safest manner as possible so
0: for deploying this technology in the safest manner possible at scale um, you know at a reasonable cost for an entire industry what are some business lessons that can be drawn from those initial successful deployments of autonomous sensor technology and uh, how are you seeing letter tech specifically help bridge that transition from ADAS to autonomous uh, using some of those lessons that we've seen from successful autonomous deployments?
1: The first thing is collaboration is key. Collaboration with uh, uh, having uh, strategic partners, having a common objective, common goal, collaborating to better serve customers, better respond to industry problems. It's uh, it's uh, much easier um Uh, to dissect the problem in small pieces and have multiple partners working uh, cohesively to address the issue, than one company trying to do everything on their own in a vertically integrated manner. So that's one thing. Collaboration is key, but collaboration not just uh, amongst partners, but also a collaborative approach to solving the problem for the customer too. So customers as well become partners in some way, shape, or form, because this is a new technology that requires a different way of engaging, not your traditional vendor-client relationship, but really an integrated development effort. The second thing is, you know, um, we are dealing with uh, lives of, of people in an industry that has not changed much uh, for a hundred years, uh, which is the automotive industry. Now we're seeing massive transformations at all levels, um, you know, which are, are are with massive scale and and with accelerated schedules. And so, what we should uh, be comfortable with is, you know, the the car that was expected to operate flawlessly. When it was a purely mechanical function for for decades without a problem, we should look more, uh, you know, to the car as as a as a uh, a technology platform. Um, and so, what you we are seeing and these is essentially technology platforms. You're seeing uh, uh, first releases. There will be some challenges. But as long as the safety of the passengers aren't at risk, we can always do upgrades. And we expect to see incremental step function upgrades so vehicles are becoming more automated, more uh, uh, intelligent, and we expect that to accelerate over the next 10 years. Just like you have normal technology progression. So every generation is better, more sophisticated, but most important, solving more problems uh, than than the first generations. And so, you know, and then the last thing, which is important, is, um, you know, us from, from where we're coming from, you know, uh, we believe that uh, for LIDARs to be mass adopted uh, in the industry uh, in high volume, a number of things need to happen. The first thing in our view is that We have to go back to the fundamentals of component technologies and solving problems with the component angle. That's what we are all about. We're looking at signal acquisition, signal processing as a problem. We solve that, integrate the solution into an SOC and deliver firmware to give customers that scalability, that that platform which they can build on. And we work with in a collaborative manner with other component manufacturers so that ultimately we can work hand-in-hand hand with the tier ones who will ultimately be the ones integrating the LiDAR into the ADAS platform or the autonomous driving platform uh, in a passenger car. And so therefore, we're not delivering a black box, we're delivering an open platform an open architecture uh, in a similar fashion that ARM has done it in the uh, in the microprocessor, microcontroller space, uh, that's uh, in a in a similar way. Nvidia is doing it with a collaborative platform on their their Xavier and Intel and so forth. We think that's the way it's happening. This is the way it has happened for radar, and we think that lidar is going to take the same route.
0: And what do you think that route means for the future of the industry, not just letter tech? um do you foresee lidar being um you know the the key technology along with some kind of ai and um obviously lidar powered with mems based sensor technology being the combination that gets us to autonomous vehicles at scale for commercial and consumer applications or is there another puzzle piece that uh, we need to add to that mix that maybe still hasn't been found yet, but, uh, you know, the the industry is getting there.
1: Uh, I think what I'm saying is that for the industry to accelerate, um, you're going to see more standardization. So there will be standard platforms where everyone can operate on the same platform with the same reference, the same definition, the same specs, the same common look and feel, the same uh, uh, um, uh, you know, way of uh, addressing uh, the problem. Today, uh, it's too fragmented. Everyone's trying to do something different. Everyone's working isolated, and this is not a scalable model. And that's what I mean by the ARM model. ARM has uh, democratized the use of microcontrollers. Uh, we saw uh, standardization in the the radar space, where people have agreed on on standard uh, components for radar even though there's still a lot of customization that's required but the core architectures are pretty standard they're common and we've seen that in the camera space so cmos uh, imaging has done now is dominate is the dominant camera technology in the in the industry in automotive and that's enabled when you have standardization you can now have Scale, volume. You can reduce cost, but also you can uh, enhance uh, the performance uh, uh, by having multiple people collaborating on the same architecture.
0: All right. So then, I I think last question here is, where does Letter Tech fit into crafting that standardization for the industry? Uh, I know you've mentioned collaboration and industry partnerships are essential so it's not just one company that will create that standardization uh, but do you see any leadership emerging as uh, this technology becomes uh, more scalable and more cost effective
1: yes indeed uh, so what we we have taken a very deliberate approach uh, by making our uh, by opening our architecture to the market we've we've created an open platform uh, that's that's open to anyone developing a LiDAR today. You can use our technology. Uh, we're not trying to be all to everybody. We think that every LiDAR, regardless of your approach, you need signal acquisition, signal processing. That's what we're good at. So we've taken that technology, integrated that into an SOC and uh, and a firmware library that we make accessible to anyone that wants to develop a LiDAR. And we work with a number of partners that bring other technologies that are necessary to create the finished product. And uh, we offer that as a reference design to the industry. For those who do not have the expertise, we give them the recipe. For those who have the recipe, they can just use that as a guide or they can just leverage their own approach. But this, we feel, is the first attempt in the industry that we know of to standardize around one architecture, one core platform. And we feel that this is a better model than trying to uh, deliver a black box. Um, Essentially, we see um, the industry uh, deploying at different clicks, different uh, um, uh, conversion rate. But we're seeing in 2020 the first deployments in uh, in the mobility space and uh, in the passenger car, we expect that uh, the first ADAS uh, functions integrating LiDAR in any meaningful volume to be around the the 2024 time frame, um, but, but we're seeing in the meantime real uh, use cases, real-world applications deploying with LiDAR in uh, level four and level five applications um, You know uh, for uh, mobility applications. These are shuttles, autonomous delivery vehicles, commercial vehicles, heavy industry, mining, construction and, and agriculture. And that's what we feel is the nearest path for revenue for LiDAR companies. And that's also the, a great case study for the entire industry because it allows the industry to uh, adapt, correct and develop in safe environments while still solving the problems that uh, passenger cars will need to solve uh, in in later years. So we're delighted and excited to participate in this deployment. And we're also delighted to collaborate with a number of partners to make this happen.
0: I'm looking forward to seeing how LetterTech continues to lead in this push from ADAS to autonomous sensor-based technology in the automotive industry. And really looking forward to the partnerships that arise to make this happen. So, again, we've been chatting with Franz St. Alamy, president and COO of LetterTech. Franz, thank you so much for your insights and perspective on this topic. Looking forward to more in the future.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me.
0: And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the podcast. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes... You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you're listening to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.